This is Can I Interject, episode 16, recorded on the 23rd of January 2021. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Can I Interject? Daniel here, emceeing this time around, and I'm joined this week with Gregor, who will be discussing... Thanks Dan, I'll be discussing my top, or our top five condiments my letter to Australian comedian John Robertson, and this week's survey. And Neil? Hi from Neil. Yeah, I'm going to be discussing gambling, uh, sports gambling in particularly, and I'll also be talking about my reply from Robbie Burns' letter this week. Thanks, guys. And this week, I my topic will be it was favourite 898 little friends, Pokemon. And Conspiracy Corner this week will be about the Bermuda Triangle. So let's get started, guys, and we'll go into our highlights, lowlights, and also get an update on your resolutions. So, Neil, kick us off. So I'll start with my lowlight this week. It's probably down to the resolutions that I did set myself at the start of January, being the dry January, exercise seven days a week, and eat healthy slash steaks every day. Set myself quite a challenge there. I tried my best. Uh, so I would say that's my low light, especially the exercising every day. Purely because it's been snowing, it's been raining, it's been a, a low motivation month, being January, uh, and also staying away. But I've managed five days, five days a week, exercise. Uh, my highlight has got to be watching Breaking Bad, which I've been doing this month. Never seen it before. Everyone raved about it at school. Uh, everyone still raves about it and since it's back on Netflix or it's come on to Netflix I've been recommended to watch it so enjoying that halfway through season 3 that's my highlight apart from Breaking Breaking Jai January last night was a highlight as well with a bottle of white (laughs) 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 very nice indeed and what about you Gregor? Um, my I'll start with a little light I've got two this week one was well I cut my right I'm right-handed, right index finger, tip of my finger, on one of the new knives you got me, Neil. <laughs> so, I knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, if you remember, that was my highlight from last time, playing with the knives. So, it's just it was just a reminder to me how sort of fickle and fleeting the joys of life can be. Was it doing sharpening or cutting? It was merely taking it out of the box and taking it over to the cotton workstation. So, just... I nicked it I'll teach you. right at the right at the end, like uh, towards the handle end, where a normal knife isn't usually sharp, but this is razor sharp the blade all the way along the blade. So um, that was it. It was still it was bleeding for about two hours after I cut it yesterday, uh, but it seems to have, seems to have stopped now. <laughs> That's good. Uh, another little light is I found a bald patch in my head in the crown of my head this week. I don't think it's male pattern baldness because it's not in any of the sort of my ancestors that I'm aware of. Uh, but I do uh, pull my hair out and I tend to do it like at the side of my hair, just twirl and pull. However, since wearing my bandana or uh, since wearing my headband, I've started to do it at the top of my head. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've probably done it in the podcast and just twirl it at the corner of my head and pull out. So that seems to have developed a sort of thinning area. So I'm wearing a, a beanie now in the hopes that I'll regrow. So, yeah, it's fun. You ever thought of getting your hair cut short so you're not able to twist it? 
I thought no, I don't think that would work. <laughs> um, a highlight that this didn't strictly happen in the last two weeks. Um, I'm going to go with it anyway. Is watching Hamilton all the way through. Hey, uh, so really enjoyed that. Probably one of the best things I've ever seen, and it's inspired me to write a musical of my own. Very interesting. <laughs> Is it called awkward silence? <laughs> oh, well, I've not, I've not got any subject matter or anything yet. I'm waiting for that inspiration. You really, you really are having a midlife <laughs> crisis. Oh. <laughs> Growing your hair long, darkened room with your bandana on. I'm going to write a musical. <laughs> it's not dark. It's just because that's light. It makes everyone else look dark. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, that's me. Cool. Thank you, Gregor. Well, for me, my my highlight has. In a similar vein to Neil with regards to, to viewing was the the start of the new Marvel TV series on Disney Plus called WandaVision. Really enjoying it. There's been some very mixed reviews about it by people who clearly don't get the content and understand the parody. But it's really good. Um, it's very clever. It's, it's got me hooked and it's it's pretty surreal the way it's been set up, which I quite like as well. So that's my highlight, is getting to see that now. I'm quite chuffed about that. And it's only one episode a week. Well, the first first two episodes came out on the same day, and now it's just one episode a week. So it's it's not binging. It means I have to wait for it, which I quite like as well. Low light, which I'm surprised nobody else has picked up on, is the fact that for us anyway, up here in Scotland, we've had our lockdown extended till the middle of February, which means I'm, I'm for one, anyway, going to have to continue to work from home until then. At least, but if if I'm honest, I'd be surprised if we're out of lockdown by Easter, the way things are going. It's not great at the minute. So for me, just being stuck working from home, four people in the house is quite challenging, but it'll be fine. We'll get through it in the end, I'm sure. But yeah, that's my low light. So I'll go on now and ask you about your resolution. Give us a resolution update. Your committed, determined resilience to all temptation neil you've already told us but i'll make you tell us again i'll tell you yeah so my resolutions were to kind of abide by the carnivore diet a bit more which is eat beef at least once a day i managed that for the most part i said that's probably six times a week restrictions of either working away or i do enjoy uh pork parmesan on a sunday so i do i did allow myself off on a sunday my exercising as i mentioned before i dulled it down to five times a week I did six times the first week five times the second week just motivation time I do a lot of driving and working away so it's sometimes not easy uh, what was my third one dry January my favourite uh, <laughs> I managed <laughs> I managed to last until the 22nd of January two weekends off which I'm quite quite happy about three Sundays uh, so I'm not going to hold it against myself. I won't. I won't uh, push the boat out too far this weekend. I might have a, a bottle each night, but then uh, back to back to normal next week. Uh, weight update: I lost a couple of pounds. I was expecting more for all my hassle, but it's always good to see. <laughs> all your stakes. <laughs> that was me. Cool. Thank you. And you, Gregor. How's it going for Smashed you? Smashed them. Tick, tick, tick. On the, on the next week, I see. Nice and, nice and 
detailed there coming from you. Thank you very much. Yeah, unfortunately, so much to Neil. I failed in a couple. So I had three. Um, one was to go for a walk every day. I went for a walk every day bar one, and it was a weekday. I thought I thought I'd be let down on the weekends, but it was a Wednesday. I was pushed for time because I usually go for a lunchtime walk. That's uh, just making excuses. So I'm going to redouble my efforts to go for a walk every day, but between now and the next podcast. But every day bar one, that's still good. That's good. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, this was a folly because I've spent uh, every free moment since Thursday. I mean, I've read just for context about two and a half books in the last two and a half three years. So about a case of book per year. <laughs> so where? So <laughs> how I thought I was gonna, how I thought I was going to be reading a book in two weeks. Maybe a bit ambitious. However, I have read near, very near uh, to the requisite reading. Maybe about a hundred or so pages short in iBooks. It's quite big text, so it's not a real hundred pages. Yeah. So I've having had this, I've certainly read more than I would have otherwise. I can say that for yes. certain. Uh, however, it has been to the detriment of other parts of my life. For instance, I woke up this morning with a terrible migraine because I was up late trying to get the pages in last night, and then up early this morning trying to get the pages in before recording. Um. But yeah, so maybe not <laughs> maybe not the point of the, the resolutions, but yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Maybe come back to reading in the future, I think. And the last one yeah. was Dry January. Yeah, easy. Done. I'll keep that going for the next two weeks <laughs> as well. You've still got <laughs> I was gonna say, you you've still got what? You still got eight days to go. Yeah, I know, but it was only easy, two easy. it was only two weeks. The, these resolutions two weeks, although I called it dry January, it was only yeah. meant to be until today. But then, yeah. so I'll do. Presumably, we'll record in another two weeks. I will abstain till then, and then I've got Super Bowl that Sunday, so back on it for that. Probably not. The, probably not the best night for it because it's usually a heavy in there as well. I've also lost weight. I'll just refer to my spreadsheet. So since when did we record the last one? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago two today. Two weeks ago to the day. So the ninth. 1.8 kilos of loss since two weeks ago today. That's, that's already gone. Wow, well done. Of course, it's a lot easier coming off me than it is Neil. But <laughs> <laughs> Depends how much beef you eat. <laughs> oh, yeah. True. <laughs> yeah, so if I continue that as well. well. Thanks for that, Gregor. Um, so now we'll need an update from both of you with regards to what you're going to be doing for the next two weeks until the next time so I can judge you some more Neil I I was thinking about this week actually this was going to be one of my initial ones I'm going to keep up the five days a week but exercise just as a matter of course for probably the whole 2021 I will try Uh, but my resolution this week this this fortnight will be to listen to two audiobooks great and you, Gregor? Um, I've got a couple this week as well. Uh, so I tried to start this new year, um, or after new year, but I'm going to make it one for the next couple of weeks, and that's going to be do oh, one of my hobbies per week. So the, the weekend, spend a decent amount of time. So last week I put on three gallons of meat, so I've got that to look forward to in six months to a year's time. And I might make sauerkraut or something this week, or I might start off that kombucha, or a kimchi kit as well, might do that. Or I might get the herbs on the go because coming that time of year. Kombucha's getting a lot of press on TV recently with all these health programmes. Oh, is it? It is, yeah, I've noticed. Let me get that started then. 
It's uh, a uh, new trend. You were ahead of the curve, then, Neil. Well, I was part of the curve. <laughs> he is the curve. <laughs> and the other one, I'll try. I'll try to start getting back into fasting. So I'll do one fast day per week for the next couple of weeks. Two fast days in total, and I'll ramp up to kind of two later on. Dan, you know what news? So you can hold us to task. Hold us to account. Hey, they they will now be in the public domain. <laughs> Everyone will be holding you to task. Cool. Well, thanks for that, guys. Um, we'll move swiftly on now to Neil with his topic, where he's going to be looking at gambling. Gambling. <laughs> One of uh, Father's room. May, maybe the eighth deadly sin. So <laughs> <laughs> I just get my notes up here. <laughs> well, surely it comes under greed. Yeah, it would. Yeah. So I'm gonna as I as I do in these uh, complex. <laughs> As, as I do in these complex <laughs> topics, I am going to do a brief history. Uh, I'll go through some facts and figures, and then I will cover it with my personal experiences with the with the subject. So history is can be traced back to three thousand BC using six sided dice. Um, this is not really much information I could find on that being five thousand years ago. I'll just go through the main three powerhouse countries uh, and their gambling policies. China, it was found in the first millennium, uh, fighting animals, lottery, dominoes were quite prominent. Gambling houses were widespread across the country. Uh, United States was gambling was actually outlawed, which put gambling, it wasn't a taboo subject, but it was, there was a black market industry thriving from it, from criminal organisations and the mafia. Uh, but more recently, the United States government have taken the federal ban off of sports sports gambling. We're going to the UK, where most prominent gambling in recent centuries has been horse racing, which has been around for three centuries. Very heavily regulated, although I think we're quite free compared to, for example, America, but apparently a very heavily heavily regulated industry due to pushback from social reformists. Uh, Sports gambling laws were relaxed in the 1960s, uh, similar to America, to take gambling away from criminal organisations. Uh, I think the first five years, there were 16,000 gambling permits issued. It was the Conservative Party that lifted that law. Woo! Mr. Howard Blinkmellon in 1960. Uh, yeah, so we'll go into some stats. Well, just, just before you do it, you said, I thought you were going to cover three powerhouse countries. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find much information on Germany. <laughs> Japan. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about the Aust- Aust- what's the by the Austro-Hungarian Empire? What's their stance on it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, I'll just go through some stats. Mainly USA, as that's the most recent uh, change in laws. Uh, they've lifted the ban on f- they've little lifted the federal ban on sports gambling as of May two thousand and eighteen. Uh, so there's now 19 states have made it fully legal to, to sports gamble, and 20, sp- 20 states have recently billed it but failed to pass it, interestingly enough, and there's all, the remaining have not billed it recently. Uh, some stats, I, I, mean, I, I bring this up because I've been told recently about the gambling has increased in 2020, and I was quite interested in these figures, so I've downloaded some figures from... Survey data anticipation from the Gambling Commission. Uh, so I've been scrolling through this spreadsheet. 
uh, there's actually been it's fairly consistent across most age groups of gambling. Around 2016, uh, there's around about 20% age groups split into five age groups. Uh, yeah, so there's a, a much lower spread of gambling in 16 to 24 year olds and the 65 plus, but the 25 to 65 age group is fairly consistent for 20% in 2016 up to around 25% in 2020. But there was a, there's been an, an unbelievable surge up to 29.3% in 35 to 44 year olds in 2020, mm. breaking with the previous trends. Now, I was led to believe by sources that this was due to middle-aged women on the bingos and the slots, which is quite, just quite a belief because obviously bingos taken a large increase in the last previous in the previous years but it's completely false according to these statistics where 35 percent of men gamble and 27 percent of women gamble uh this is excluding the lottery well i'm quite surprised 27 percent of women gamble outside of the lottery i think yeah. that was quite high um but when you add lottery in and when you add lottery in, it's about 50 percent of the population so some interesting facts I, I was surprised as i was expecting to find some evidence of women gambling especially with there was a recent uh, t- recent series highlighting a woman with a slots addiction and trading on inside information it's amazing it's amazing what information you come across when you take it take your uh, sort of data from reputable sources <laughs> well that's the thing I've, 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 I've scientific seen, studies <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing I, I looked it up and there was no evidence to back it up uh, personal experiences of gambling I like it Dan likes it. Gregor likes <laughs> oh, it. We oh, all do it. <laughs> oh, you're, making, you're making presumptions here. <laughs> exactly. We've got a chance to speak here. Uh, I've gambled uh, through a large portion of my life. Uh, but, but Yeah, I, I, I consistently lose, but I, I just it's just inbuilt into me. It's, I don't know if it's the... Uh, you get the dopamine hit from it, but you always like to have some skin in the game, especially when you're watching a sports, sporting event. And especially much anticipated ones, I like to people usually up your stakes on games that you're very highly interested in, or you've obviously fancy your team, or not you don't fancy your team when you're gambling, but you you have your own personal view on who's going to win on the facts shown when everyone's appears to yeah. have different views, but the bookie always wins. That's why they're so so rich, and there's so many of them, so. I still gamble. My gambling's definitely reduced purely because it was. I just it's just throwing money down the toilet most of the time. But I still do it regularly on anticipated games. So I'm interested to see. It's something that I think I should stop, but I'm not going to. Dan, we'll go with you. What's your What's your thoughts? You're as a gambler. I also going to put this question to both of you. On average, are you losing money? Well, we've got. I'm looking at a tool just now on my main the bookmaker that I mainly use. I can see what PL has been for the last 12 months. I'm sure we both can. Or three of us can. I'm sure we all can. Yeah. I I, I enjoy a flutter from time to time. Uh, It's something I, you know, I I self-regulate because I know that it's easy to get carried away with it. I once knew a boy, I worked with him years ago, and he used to bet on anything and everything. Like, we'd be at work and he'd be, in a job years ago, he'd be he'd be putting money on like the Vietnam second division in the football, and he'd pick you know he'd just be, he'd just throw money and stuff. So I've seen I've seen the like the extreme I'd call it extreme gambling, 
because you're just looking for something to put money on to try and win. I think it's, you know, I do it for pleasure as well as trying to make some money. So I do it in a way that sort of allows me to still enjoy it without feeling as though I'm getting dragged into it. Yeah, we've all got that feature on our on our accounts that allows you to see how much you've made or how much you've lost, but I never check it. So it's sometimes best to leave things alone. Care to check it today, Dan? Oh, I certainly would not care. I'll, uh, well, my WeChat, my WeChat to see the coupon after the coupon today if we win big. Um, <laughs> that'll help balance the books a bit. But it, yeah, it's, you know, I, I never, I'd never gambled, never gambled until I met you people. How does that sound? Never gambled until I knew any of you guys. So for me, gambling's, I suppose, and your experience, you no know, being my, well, my granddad has flutters on the horses, but that's about as exciting as it gets for, for my family. So it's a relatively recent thing for me. And I just, I, you know, I read the statistics, I read the facts, I check goals scored, goals conceded, points scored, points conceded. Um, and I try to, try to keep it quite tight as well in a way because I don't. I don't bet on horses. I don't bet on the dogs. I don't bet on anything with with excessive variables. I'm not prepared to deal with. I prefer two teams. You know, high points, low points, goals scored, teams to win, both teams to score, stuff like that. I try to keep it relatively simple. But yeah, I do enjoy it. Thank you very much, Dan. But you never answered my initial question. On average, are you up or down? That'd be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> But looking back at my Skype, I am actually quite happy with uh, the returns. I've just looked, strolled through the last 12 months. Thankfully, the last year was a very low gambling frequency, probably the lowest in over a decade, being 29. How old, you, yeah. how old are you, Neil? 29. Well, that's right. <laughs> Gregor, what's your views? First of all, start off. You can, you, you can see your uh, Skype. Are you on okay, average yeah. up or down? Over the last 12 months, I'm up. Ooh, interesting. I tend to I tend to be up. Uh, well, certainly the last few years, I I bet I bet in a similar way to Dan. I bet to win money, but I also bet to add, add a little something to the game that I'm watching. And the sums differ depending on what I'm betting for. So I'll usually have two or three, usually big bets a year, and they tend to be longer term because that's when the bookies have. I mean, they've they've got. They've got sophisticated statistical models for the outcome of football games and so on, and so they've got that pretty. They've got their margin of error, and they can, in most cases, are pretty confident. They can still get caught out on the odd week, but over the season, it'll more often than not balance itself out. And they've got they've got their sort of margin with the odds, so uh, they always tend to win on that, and they'll t- tend to win on all markets. Uh, but there there are some markets that are more art than science, I think. From their perspective, they won't put as much rigor into some of the, the odds that they're offering, and mm-hmm. particularly with the longer term things. And so that's tend to where I, that's tends to be where I put my my larger stakes. And so I had the the story of last year was I had a big Lamar Jackson bet for MVP that came in in January. Yeah, like you say, there wasn't much sports after that, so it was pretty much level until August, which I think might have been like a couple of golf bets or something. And then I was I went down into negative towards the end of the year. Then I had a big win in November. I think we all won. We all won in November. Uh, not according to you, we didn't. <laughs> Why not, Mister Mister Get on Trump? Pilot on Trump? 
Trump all yeah, the way. Yeah, I, tr- I had Trump long. I had, tr- I had Trump long term, but at the time I put a, I cashed out Trump and unloaded into Biden when it started to turn. So I made. So I did make a decent sum on it. Fair enough. Yeah, well, 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 November. Uh, <laughs> it's slowly tailed off. So it says I was looking good for MVP this year, Mahomes. I had some really good odds on him, uh, but Aaron Rodgers seems to have. Uh, seems like he'll get it. Uh, which is unfortunate, but it wasn't because <clears throat> it was getting good odds, and it, it tends to be decent odds you get on these things. You yeah. you know you're not going to win them all, so you could have down years. But I I don't have a record of it, but I would say I, in no small part, to the year 2015, I am definitely up in my career in gambling. <laughs> mm, interesting. What was 2015? Spieth. Spieth year. Yeah, Spieth. Right. <laughs> yeah. Spieth year. The year of Spieth. <laughs> There were some outlandish bets that came in big that year, and so yeah, there's no way I've I've made that I've, I've lost that, and prior yeah. to that I wasn't betting big enough, in a consistent basis to have lost that prior to it. So there's yeah. no, I, I reckon I'm up overall, but I, I wouldn't be surprised that dwindles throughout um, like the coming years because these big bets that do come in maybe a higher percentage of the time might offset the other betting I do, like the more casual sort of stuff that so maybe don't put as much thought into. Yeah. And so, and so yeah, so I'm usually break even slightly up or slightly down in any given year. And then that big, big, big year is pick me up overall, I reckon. I think, uh, I think where I lose most is, I don't know if you'd put on the coupon, the Saturday coupon. I think yeah. we're all... Oh, I only put on I only put on the one we're part yeah, of. Yeah, we're guilty of having that on, but I've got yeah. uh, two of those. One I put on religiously every week, and that's usually a much-anticipated one, but that's where I, where I consistently lose, but I guess when you hit the big win, I mean, what, last time, we won about 800. So there's 40, 40 yeah. weeks of a fiver. Yeah. Which those 40 weeks have now passed. <laughs> Since the last win, long gone, long gone since the last win. Well gone, well gone. It's gambling. It is what it is. You, you can't, you know. We could all agree on one team. We could all lose. Well, I mean, we didn't do it last week, though, did we? So no, we don't. There's always we don't do it. Yeah, there are weeks where we just don't. But yeah, I think it. that's. I think that's how money's. And I think that's where bookies probably make their most money is the coupons. Oh, it will be. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I, I sat with a. I visited a bookmaker. Uh, sort of back end operations part of my old job and th- that's what he was saying because you're just if you're doing an accumulator especially in football you're just because they've got the edge in football you're just taking poor yeah. odds multiplying it by poor odds multiplying it by more, more poor odds <laughs> so they're just thinking well I'm just all this all this margin is just uh, adding up well, multiplying yeah it's multiplying true. here but when you do hit them I mean I used to do £1.30 volt that's what I used to do Every yeah. day I used to put in a 30 fold, just whatever it was on. Just in case it's just yeah. like the lottery when you hit it. I've got a question for the two of you. What's the first bet you remember? Do you have a, a, a distinct a distinct first bet that you remember? Tiger Woods 2005 to win the British Open. My earliest is uh, a coupon I had on and it was, was it your granddad's birthday party? You guys came and picked me up and took me over. That's and I had... Years. It was a new year. It was it was a birthday or anniversary or something. We were at your grand and granddad's house. And I had one team to come in, and I thought it was Paris Saint-Germain I had to win. But instead it was Paris FC in the French second, <laughs> third division or something. And they won against Classic. the odds. Because I looked at the odds, and I was like, why is Paris Saint-Germain so, so good odds? And it came in, and I won. And I was 
did a one pound got me 118 pounds well done that's how they get you give you yeah. give you your first win and then you never you always come back <laughs> <Yeah>. for more <laughs> get them yeah. investigated for for for, for, for betting irregularities what's going on did he even win they weren't even playing that day Gregor I'll assume yours is possibly down the same lines as mine well certainly golf but it was in when we were over in the Hague watching the US Open I remember I had it was on the Saturday or Sunday I had five two balls five two ball winners and four were up and they were low low down the order so they weren't going to show on TV and this was before like you had a phone at hand to check the scores and you had to wait at the bottom for the ticker to come up to see what the players' scores were and how far they were through or load up teletext. Yeah. So it was it was John Daly against Tom Kite, I think it was the final pair. And it ended in a tie. So I had four wins in a tie, so it was a losing bet. For my two pound I got the thirty two pound back. We shame. Was eight years old. <laughs> eight years old. <laughs> oh, <wasn't he? laughs> I know you started way before then. I wasn't eight. And after a whole weekend of complaining that well dad did this a lot when but we had a winning bet, he accused us of just copying his bets in part <laughs> but, but winning. And sometimes held our bets. Yeah, well he held this bit. <laughs> and he said because I remember coming off the phone and he said, oh, I forgot to put your bet on, Gregor. And I had my two floor or whatever it was at the time. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll let you off with that. He says, um, but let, let this be a lesson about gambling. <laughs> and it was a lesson never learned. <laughs> it was a lesson, lesson learned all too well. Yeah, I've learned it not, not to ask for other people's opinions on American football, especially when the Rams are playing. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, even the stats, like, you can go you can go weeks and weeks without winning anything and then you just have yeah. a run you have a run where like the past few days everything I put money on has come in like I had accumulate had an accumulator on last night four games two of the games were both teams to score one of the games was over 2.5 goals and it came in you know and it was games where you'd probably be thinking oh is that actually going to come in but you know it, it happened so you, you never know gambling is so unpredictable that's 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 one of the reasons why yeah. people do it because it's the thrill of the mystery. Yeah, that, that, that's that's also why I like it because every now and again, you convince yourself to the point where this is a certainty, and you know it's not, and you get that reminder every now and again that it's not yeah. it's, nothing's a certainty, and I, I think I appreciate the improbability of things occurring. Yeah, more so because of gambling and. I look at things more probabilistically due to that because in life as well you think well that's that's certain and yeah. it kind of tempered your expectations to say well it's not certain but it might be likely but how likely is it is it is it 99% yeah. likely or is it 75% likely 75% likely is not that far off the likelihood scale <laughs> exactly if you've got a 20% chance that, that's like saying well Monday's one fifth of the weekdays Every fifth weekday is a Monday, and so that's your twenty percent chance. <laughs> exactly. So it does happen. Certainly does. You never know. Yeah, I think that would come into where if you play playing, we guess professional gambling. Apparently, I'm just looking up here. According to the New York Times, reliable source, zero point five percent of gamblers in the USA would consider themselves gamblers. 
uh, professional gamblers, but I think that's down to... You can be a professional gambler, but it's just plain statistics. You have to... It's almost mathematical. Yeah. To be able yeah. to do it to that level. If you're, a professional, if you're a professional gambler, you've got some sort of... Uh, well, I'd imagine you've got some sort of model to compete with the bookies, and you're looking for you so. uh, uh, discrepancies in your pricing against theirs. Or, or at the very least, looking at discrepancies of prices between bookies. Yeah. yeah. Arbitrage. Yeah, arbitrage. Uh, hopefully, well, games have picked back up. Uh, hopefully it'll be a, a year of normal sports. It's quite good for me because it's year-round for me because I'm getting the golf a lot and I'm getting American football a lot. And the American football season runs from <laughs> September to the start of February. And yeah. the golf season, in a large part, runs from February to September. So, Yeah, exactly. In some cases, it's October. I did go through a run of... Uh, it also fits in very nicely to the baseball season. That's April to September. I, as well, I, yeah. I sometimes, I sometimes watch the the, the NBA when the NBA's on, and I might put some put a bet on that every now and then if I'm watching it. But I think the thing is with American sports because they're on so late at night. A lot of them, most you know, yeah. I mean, they're obviously the the, the, the American football, whether it be college or NFLs, a bit more considerate. I mean, unintentionally, I imagine, but it's more considerate with the times for us. But it's you know, baseball and basketball and things like that. It's obviously usually later at night. There was a period, uh, probably five, five uh, to five or four, five or six years ago, where I did follow a lot of tipsters on, especially football betting and baseball betting. That's another yeah. great Disneyland Paris story. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell? Can I tell? Can I tell this one? Yeah, yeah, go tell for it. it. Tell it. <laughs> so yeah, speaking of tipsters, Neil came to us on this Disneyland Paris trip. And said, "I've got this Twitter account. I've been following. I've been following for. He must have claimed about three months. And he gives at least one tip every day, and he gives it a star rating or a football rating or something to see how confident it is. And he's not had a losing bet <laughs> in as long as I've been following him, which would be two minutes. <laughs> so, dear listener, can you guess how many losing bets he had on that holiday? Did the space of the time we were in Disneyland Paris?" <laughs> It was not insignificant. <laughs> Needless to say, Mickey sent the boys round with the baseball bats. <laughs> he actually, yeah. he actually took a bet. I uh, took a break after. He actually took a break after that. <laughs> it was a disaster. <laughs> it was a disaster. It was all one to sixties and stuff. Like he never, it was nothing approaching even money. You were, you were almost left behind, Neil. <laughs> he usually did it about four to seven, eight to eleven. And then as it got longer, he went on shorter and shorter odds and he kept losing. <laughs> I, think that was, I think that was the first time I've ever seen your dad genuinely angry at you. Because <laughs> of what you were giving us. <laughs> he was absolutely furious. It was great as it unfolded because we had this guy that's got 60 right in a row or something. And then he got the first one wrong. It's like, well, he's still getting another one wrong. <laughs> the next one's down. <laughs> and this part continued... <laughs> And then there was a point where he did get one up, but we hadn't bet it. And we thought, all right, he's back in form. <laughs> so we started, started betting him again. It was just an absolute disaster. But saying that, I did profit from these guys, these tipsters. Beware the Twitter None tipsters. None of the rest of us did. Especially the base- <laughs> Twitter tipsters. Especially the, there was, uh, I think there's threads on Reddit, a baseball thread, uh, which was very so successful. So much more year. reliable. But these are, these are professional gamblers putting their tips up with all their due diligence and everything. That boy must be back to his day job then. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, he. I mean, these yeah, these guys were 
quite common these Facebook and Twitter oh, yeah. tipsters. But the problem the problem is with these guys, and I sh- I didn't spot this at the time. I don't know. I don't know why not. Um, oh, not that bit big. I think it was only a few pounds. But th- there's so many. You're right. There are so many of them, and one of them is going to get sixteen or row right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's like uh, fund managers and things. But the, all the people doing it, someone's going to get a streak of luck. Yeah, it's going to look like they're they're entirely skilled. <clears throat> it's like the that Darren Brown special when he does the horse racing. Yeah, not seen it. Maybe oh, I can't remember it. That's a good one. Yeah, so consensus on there. I those days are past me of betting random leagues and following tipsters. Now to more just a uh, casual, casual gambling. Very good. Thank you for that, Neil. And we'll now move on to our survey with Gregor. Are we prepared this week? Thanks, Dan. <laughs> uh, we're prepared as we are every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this comes from a different source this week. Um, so instead of the usual YouGov, I don't have the, the demographic split for this one. But I thought it'd be interesting nonetheless. Sounds good. So the the title of this week's survey is... or It's not, it's not a traditional survey or a poll... Um, this was a sort of data collection exercise, and this uh, company, Money Beach, they're uh, an insurance company. They used Google search data uh, in, in variety of languages, or all languages rather, to establish the average monthly search volume in each country for common search items associated with ordering a takeaway. Oh. Things like pizza takeaway, pizza delivery, pizza takeout, um, so on. The most searched for takeaway choice was then used for the specific country data correct as of December 2020. You couldn't get data for all the countries, uh, so the, the most uh, sort of the, the ones that do have the most data for are represented here. This article is titled Top Takeouts, What are the Most Popular Takeout Choices Around the World? I like this. Interesting. Excellent. Published 11th of January, so it's fairly, fairly current. Over 100 countries listed. We'll just kick straight into it. What do you think top was? What, top so just for which country? All, all countries, all countries. All countries, pizza. Pizza, Dan? Chinese or Indian? Neil takes it with pizza. Oh. That came on from my segment my segment a couple of uh, weeks ago where uh, Italian is the most popular cuisine in the world. Yep, 40, 44 countries. Wow. Had pizza. S- second, second most popular? Chinese. Dan? Indian. Chinese. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't get Indian. There's not that much widespread outside the UK. I don't think. Not as not nowhere near as much as it is here. And we'll do one more. Uh, number three. What do you think? Uh, I don't know this one. Um, I don't think it's Indian, but uh, Japanese. Damn. Mexican. Three for three. Sushi. Yes. Number three. <laughs> 44 for pizza, 29 for Chinese, and 10 countries for sushi. So have you seen this, Neil? Uh, no, but I he know statistics on UK and American takeaway. Excellent. So what do you think <laughs> most popular in the UK is? Chinese. And America? It's pizza. Chinese. Is it? Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Why is pizza the most popular in the world? Uh, because of most most European countries, apart from Ireland and Britain, are Chinese the cuisine, and Sweden is sushi. 
What's Denmark out of interest? Denmark what, tapas. Tapas. Mm. The Netherlands is Indian. <laughs> I find that interesting. There's a few more sushis, Chinese, Turkey's pasta, but the rest are pizza. Interesting. What's South Africa? South Africa? South Africa's fish and chips. <laughs> what? Yep. South Africa is one of the few fish and chippers. Who are the There's others? There's only six. There's only six. Um, Canada Ooh. is one. St. Lucia, Grenada, Fiji, fish and chips. And uh, that is Interesting. all I can see just now. I'd say I'm assuming Asian countries will be takeaways of their own cuisine. It's limited in terms of the the cuisines. So you've got uh, Korean, Thai, Malaysian, and sushi, and Indian from Asia and Ch- sorry, and Chinese, obviously uh, from from Asia. Uh, but they, I mean, China is Chinese. Yeah. Japan is sushi. Uh, India's pizza, though. Mm. Pakistan's Indian. Sri-, Sri Lanka's Chinese. Maldives pizza. Oman is Korean. I mean, just yeah. there's, uh, there's. I mean, I'll send this map across to you because it visually is very, uh, uh, well, aesthetic, but also uh, very interesting because you, it's, it's a map of the world and it's color coded uh, by country mm-hmm. and what their favorite cuisine, cuisines are. The sort of Southeast Asian Peninsula, there's fried chicken in there for Burma and Laos in Cambodia. Yeah. Thailand is burrito. I like the fried chicken near Korea, or in Korea. A burrito. Yeah. Uh, Korea is pizza. That's their favourite. Or South Korea, rather. Um, I'll send a link of us to now. Cool, thank you. Did you have your own leisure? But yeah, not, not a lot to dissect there. It's just, I've, I found the image really interesting. I also found it really interesting that some countries uh, stuck to their own cuisine for favourite takeaway, but yet some diverged. And we've just seen how the same cuisine can be popular in completely disparate parts of the world and cultures. So it was really interesting. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you very much for that, Gregor. That was very different. Different approach. I enjoyed that, actually. And it's nice you just telling us how it is rather than giving us the option to help with democracy. Um, so we'll move on now, and Neil's going to bring us the board game segment this episode. So Neil, take it away. Yeah, thanks Dan. I'm going to cover poker today, particularly Texas Hold'em. Very popular game worldwide. Uh, I'll just run through basic rules and premise of it. So each player is given two cards, and three cards are then laid out on the table. And the player's car the play the objective is, of the game is to match a certain pattern of cards. May this be two cards the same, three cards the same, five cards numerically in a row, five cards of the same suit. Uh, you got various. You got four four of a kind as well. Various ways to play. No, no, there's only one way to play. Uh, various hands you can. Have and they're all ranked differently. For example, a flush will be a straight, uh, a three of a kind will be a two of a kind. So the aim of the game is to come to the end of the game, 
and whoever's got the best hand wins. Uh, so each player is given the two hands I've mentioned, then three cards are laid on the table. Each player will bet what they think, depending on their hand and their circumstance. Another card will be laid on the table, potentially revealing another pattern to another player. They will bet further. And finally, the final card, the river, they will bet again. And we'll go around betting on whoever thinks they've got the best chance of winning on the circumstance that they've got in front of them. Be that, is it a good hand they've got or do they think they can outplay their opposing player? Called bluffing. It's a fairly simple game, uh, but there's the, the interest in it comes from the gambling and the bluffing known phrase having a poker face uh, is because a lot of play a lot of rookie players a lot of sat players will give away give away their hands just by their body language and their communication at the table i play this game quite a lot i'm mostly online i have in the past maybe not so much in recent years i've played the casino a few times when it was a university i find that i do find that for such a simple game it is I find it exhilarating, to be honest, especially when you're playing in a casino. Uh, just the fact that there's most hands there's going to be someone that's thinking about or trying to bluff you, yeah. And it's the uncertainty of what your what your risk to reward ratio, your risk tolerance is, uh, especially when someone's going all in against you, and it's a an all or, an all or nothing. Uh, so things can get pretty exciting, or people can go all in from the start and the cards are laid out in the table and the table watches as it plays out whoever's got the best hand uh, as you start the game obviously you want to have high cards double aces it's sort of the best hand you can get or cards close together so you can get the straight five numerical numbers in a row it's also a good hand so that's where the betting will start people with high cards but yeah as, as I've mentioned I've played it it's good to play casually with friends it's always a great night Famously, people have uh, poker chips, um, a guy, a guy's night in, having a few drinks and playing poker. Gregor, I know you've played poker. You've probably had a few poker nights in your time as well. I'll start with you. Yeah, I played poker before. Um, I mean, started a session during the first lockdown. We would have a weekly game, uh, just for a few hours in the night, just on one of the online poker websites. Went well. I enjoy it. Again, I enjoy... The poker's got a really good balance again of that sort of what's going on in the table and what's going on above the table like with the chat and stuff like you say there's the statistical element which is which can be wholly relied on because I think AI computers have uh, can now uh, quite easily beat human players at the game which suggests that the sort of table talk and bluffing doesn't have it can, it can be sort of factored into your strategy as well Oh, of course, it's right into strategy, but it can it can determine it can be determined by computers. Mm-hmm. But still, it's, it's a very social game because it doesn't take up very much of your concentration. Uh, so you 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 can talk through it hands quite easily until it gets to a sort of tense moment when somebody's about to go out or someone's went all in or whatever. But yeah, it is a it is a very long. Well, it can be a very long game. It doesn't need to be, I suppose. But particularly in poker nights, it's more of a social game, and not much attention is required to what's going on, on the table for the for the vast majority of time. Thank you very much, Gregor. Dan, what's your thoughts on uh, poker? Is this something you've played a lot in the past? I've never played it. Ever. Okay. <laughs> ever, ever. 
Um, Thanks for that, Dan. I've never played against poker. <laughs> Just go straight to raids. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> never heard a flutter in the casino, Dan? I've never been to a casino. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I think I think it's important that, you know, we don't all have to have played the game. You guys can give informed judgments yourselves. And I'm not going to make up a judgment. And it's a very big game, yeah. You can make an informed judgment based on what you know of the game. I, I don't know how to play it. I couldn't tell you what beats what. Do you, asp- do you aspire to play it one day? I'd like to have a go. Something I'd be interested in. Used to play... I've played blackjack. Used to play blackjack, but not poker, I'm afraid. It actually comes... I'll, I'll, add, I'll add to that, Dan. Uh, this follows on, <laughs> follows on nicely from the gambling topic. This is one of the very few gambling uh, habits that can be... You can be a professional gambler at poker. It's not, it's not, it's not common, but it's yeah. well accepted in the community to be a professional gambler. Yeah, it's because it's, it's a zero-sum game against other people you're playing against. Well, it's not zero-sum because they take a rake, but it's you're, you're, playing, you're, you're winning your money from other people. Yeah, you're not betting the house. And not the biggies. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of money to be made in it. Absolutely. Especially if you're sitting across the table from me. <laughs> I'll remember that, Neil. I'll make sure that if I ever play it, if I get around to playing it, I'll make sure that you're at the table. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, I'll start kick off with my rating. I would say I'm going to give poker an eight, right. purely because of the the simplicity of it, accessibility of it, social social part of it, and you do get a good kick out of it. Even especially as I mentioned, when you play at the casino, you get one hell of a rush out of playing. Gregor, what's your uh, what's your rating? I'll give it a six and a half. Oh, low. I don't know if it's low. It's a decent score. <clears throat> I'm just thinking, if I've got an evening with a group of friends, what would I rather play? Would I pl- rather play... I mean, I'm happy to play a game of poker, don't get me wrong, but what would my first choice be? Would I play in... You say a typical poker game starts, like, you get people around at seven and it goes on to like one in the morning. Would I rather play... A big board game and maybe two or three smaller board games in that time, or would I rather play poker? Yeah. And I'd probably play, rather play the board games. That's not to say there's not a place for poker, and if someone's having a poker night, I'd be more than happy to, jo- to join them. Um, or I'm, I've happily hosted mostly my own poker nights in the past. However, I just. And another positive from it is it has inspired, especially a lot of. Like the poker hands are quite well known, not too well known. Apparently done, but they're quite well known, and they have made their way to other board, like to to modern board games, because it's something people, some people are familiar with uh, that sort of ranking system, and it's got the odds built into it because of the ranking. Uh, but yeah, six and a half. Um, I just, I, I would prefer other games too. I think. Fair enough. And Dan, <laughs> uh, I'll na because <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't N-A. think it's fair to. <laughs> To, to give a score on something I've not played, like it's like I say, it's something I'd like to try, and I recognise some of the terms and everything, but I wouldn't, you know, I don't know necessarily know how they equate, and in the same way, you know, I'd, I'd be one of those who'd probably luckily get something at some point and not know what it meant um, without doing a bit of research in it or something like that. So it's, yeah, I, I'd say on this occasion I'll I'll not rate it, but it is a game that I would like to try. Well, hopefully we can get together with a few chips and uh, a curry and some uh, some cash and play. <laughs> Need to stop doing the coupon. <laughs> cool. Okay, beautiful. 
So thanks for that, Neil. And up next is myself with my topic, which is Pokemon. Now, when I when I said that we're going to be doing this topic, Gregor said about time. You know, he was he, he like me was obviously concerned about the lack of Pokemon content that we've had on the the podcast. It's been mentioned. It's been mentioned once before during our chat about uh, our top ten games, video games, and nineties. 90s TV shows. And 90s TV shows, yeah, of course. That snuck in there as well. Um, so I'm going to chat to you a bit about so a bit about the history of it. I'm going to ask you some questions, some <laughs> quiz questions about numbers, how many of this and what of this and all that stuff. And then I'm just going to ask for some of your, your input and your opinions. So to start off with a bit of background, Pokemon, it created in 1995 by Satoshi Tajiri who worked for Nintendo, and he created this game. The idea for the game came from his his lifelong love of insect collecting. Now, what I found interesting was, uh, upon further reading, was actually he came up with the idea in 1989. But it wasn't until 1995 that they were in a position for it to sort of get take off. And in 1996, the first video games came out. They were red, green, and blue in Japan. And in 1998, the English versions of the games, red, blue, and yellow, came out here. And since then, there has been a swath of games. Since 1996 up until 2019, there has only been, I think it was seven, seven years where there were no Pokemon games released of the original series. That's not to include any expanded games like Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium, and games such as that. But the traditional exploring game, there was only seven years without it. Uh, The games were originally, as I said, they're about exploration. So you're in a world filled with these fantastic and imaginative creatures called Pokemon, and your goal is to catch them all. And you need to go out, find them, catch them, train them up, battle them against other Pokemon, other trainers, and to become the best. And that has generally been the theme for all of the games. The games have ranged from being named after colours, to being named after precious gems, being named after monotone colours, black and white, to being named after objects in the night sky, sun and moon, and daytime, sorry, objects in the sky, sun and moon, and the most recent incarnation was Pokemon Sword and Shield. Up to this point, there have been eight generations of it, so that's eight generations of Pokemon. Would anybody like to hazard a guess? I know I've already said it, so I imagine you already have the answer. How many Pokemon there have been? You can look them up, Pokedex, how many Pokemon have there been? Gregor. I do remember you saying that. It was, it was 800, I'll go with 856. 856. Neil? Uh, I've not got a clue. I'd probably say, I'd say less than that. 623. See, he wasn't paying attention in my intro. I said there are no. 898 individual Pokemon. No. Starts with number number one with Bulbasaur and finishes with 898. <laughs> I thought we were going to get... I thought you were going to get to be That'd be like one of those things. Now listen, folks, calm your mind as you listen to me. Name all the Pokemon. <laughs> uh, no, number 898 is Calyrex. So that's, one of the, that's the most recent one that they've released in the latest set. A very popular television series. Any guesses for how many series of animated Pokemon they've made? Just shout out. I was getting confused by the series. 
Because, like, what was in, how many series were in the Indigo League, for instance? Uh, I see. That's it. Are you a purist? Or this this is according to it's according to Bulbapedia. I'll go with 12. What'd you say, Neil? Six. It's been 23. I honestly have no... My knowledge, my knowledge of <laughs> Pokemon is very, very well, small. Well, see, now, now, now you're where I am with poker. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so there's been 23... Si- That's basically one a year. Yeah. Uh, and there's been over a thousand episodes of it. Films, there's been 23 films made, animated films. This is just the animated. Animated and um, the, the live-action uh, Detective Pikachu. As I'm sure our listeners know, they're a very famous card card collection as well of Pokemon trading cards. How many sets, individually branded sets of Pokemon cards? Of the of the of the new generation? No, or? no. So for example, base, fossil, jungle, team rocket, base set two, team rocket returns, all the ones Cur- currently available. Yeah, cur- cur- that have been released and are probably still available because you can still get original. So you always got a little, so all the generations. Little, little branded, a little branded insignia on the card for the different sets. So how many mm. of these individual sets have they produced? Fourteen. Fourteen and a half. <laughs> Fourteen and a half. <laughs> they got lazy to one point. There have been eighty-six sets produced. Oof. So that can be collected. So there's different. There's eighty-six sets of cards that can be collected, which means I'm not even actually this number because I had to calculate it. I had to work it out. I count them all up. That means that there are 11,283 individual unique Pokemon cards. That's not to say how many they've actually printed, which is probably in, in the billions, but that's, that's how many, that's how many individual cards you could potentially collect and have in your collection. So obviously TV series have been massive. Films have been very popular. The trading card game, has been as popular as the original video games. They also have their own line of manga, manga comics that they produce, and also the very popular Pokemon Go that you can get on all, well, most smart devices since 2016. So Pokemon is, it's a phenomena. It's possibly, it's one of the biggest phenomena, I think, in, in our lifetime. For, for for children and for adults because we we still like it. I wouldn't do it as a topic if I didn't still like it. it. It's just an extraordinary power, and the sheer monetary value of it is you know it, it's it's one of cornerstones of Nintendo's gaming ranges, I think, as well. So I'll start. I'll start. We'll get some questions going. So Neil, what is your happy? Yes, I'm starting with you. <laughs> what, is, what, what is one of your happiest or best memories of Pokemon? My happiest and best memories of Pokemon is in the late 90s as a young child going to the <laughs> thrift shop buying... One of my only memories of the Pokemon, actually. Is Before drinking, gambling got hold of you. Going to the thrift shop and buying... I don't know what it was, five cards for a pound or something and just hoping that you'd get the shiny Mew. And I, I remember I used to have a huge tin, huge, uh, it was like a quality street tin full size, full of Pokemon cards, absolutely packed with them. And I wish I kept them. Maybe they are, maybe they are somewhere in central Scotland, who knows? Not after, not after the great flood. Not, not after the flood, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, 2012 to 2019. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long flood, folks. I did download Pokemon Go in 2014, 2015. 2016. 
Did it? Okay. When that came that's out, what I said. Uh, seen the dangers of it and deleted it. The gambling you've stuck with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. <laughs> there was no monetary gain from playing Pokemon Go. See these in-app, um, these in-app purchases, they're so dangerous. When I realised that you're having to use an app while driving, I uh, deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> so I... You weren't having to. Yeah. <laughs> it was part of it, though. It was disrupt. It was disrupting your indicating when changing lanes. Yeah. So yeah, happy memories as a child uh, in the playground battling Pokemon cards and in golden time in primary school. But far further along than actually, sorry. Also, one of the happy memories is having Pokemon Red as a child. I think Gregor had the gold, so we used to play that as children. Yellow. I enjoyed those games. Now played by people for more of a challenge. But yeah, that's 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 my two cents. Not 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 really come out of that late nineties rhythm I had though. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, What about you, Gregor? You're you're more of a Pokemon buff like myself, I suppose. So happiest memories. Yeah, it's an odd one actually because I came to I came to Pokemon late because I remember it was kind of big when I was well in primary seven, which would have been. So around about you've been ten or eleven, 99, eleven, twelve-ish. 1999. Yeah, I've been twelve, and it, I, I didn't really, I didn't really get into it. But a lot of people in the class were, and then even when I was twelve, we went on a a trip with scouts, and there was somebody that was really, really into it, and that like I'd still never heard of it. And it wasn't until it must have been when I was at high school I started playing it, and I think it was really because I was never really interested in the catching them all or anything like that. Because um, that's obviously a big selling point for them in all the different merchandise. But I really enjoyed the games, like the gameplay of the games. Yeah, and I think that's what hooked me. And then I watched the anime. I didn't watch it. Sort of watched it periodically. Only watched the first season, maybe a few episodes after that. Yeah. But yeah, I've continued to play, pick up the games throughout my life. I've got the DS. So I've got some of the newer ones. I've not played them through all the way. But yeah, it really comes down to the sort of video games, I think, for me, until this recent anime. Yeah, it's, I mean, for me, I was, I was, I was always about it all. I was about it all to catch them all. Played the games, I've, I've, I've owned, at one time or another, at least one of the games from each of the generations. I've, you know, I watched, I watched the, the anime, like yourself, I really just watched the, that first season when they're doing the Indigo League. Uh, bit into the the Orange Islands that came after it, but after that, I kind of I lost touch with it. I see it every now and then with the kids, but that's about it. And trading cards, I I figured out. I think I've always collected them, and then I realised how valuable they were. So then I started getting involved with buying them for the sake of selling them, um, which is actually if you if you if you get, if you get them right, you get quite good deals. I think I once had. What's, I think it was on eBay. It was some like here's a bundle of Pokemon cards that somebody wanted rid of. It was like twenty or thirty cards for a tenner, and I got them and I kept them. And then it turned out that one of the cards was worth like one hundred and fifty quid. So you know, there's a lot of money in it. It's a it's big money for if you if you know how to play the game. Well, especially during lockdown, prices of prices of sword. Yeah, well, people are just selling it, aren't they? I mean, they're they're, they're tidying up and they're getting through the rummage, and maybe kids have left home or something, and then. They're find, you know, they're finding all these. Well, it must be people buying. It must be demand. Yeah, yeah. it's increasing the price. I, I mean, it, it'll always be popular as long as it's going. I think. I think it'll always be a popular, a popular pastime, popular activity. 
But for me, you know, I have great memories. Like being young, you know, like like yourselves, remember when it first came out. I remember once I had a Blastoise from the original set and somebody wanted to trade it for a, no, for a Charizard. So give me a Charizard, which is now one of the most valuable cards you can get. And I said, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to. And they said, how about this? I'll give you the Charizard and a pound. And I was sold. That was me. I was like, best deal ever. Because I went home and I had a spare Blastoise. So I think I came out of that quite good. Um, but yeah, just, just really happy memories. Um, I suppose if we're going, I suppose if we focus on the originals, because we don't want to get too complicated for Neil, because we'll just get totally lost. What about favorite Pokemon? I'll start with you this time, Gregor. Gregor, what's your favourite Pokemon? Would you start with starters? Uh, we'll start with original sure, starters. Sure, Ooh, starters. Yeah. Original starters. Sure. Charmander, obviously. Neil? Despite its weakness. I like yeah. Charizard. Yeah, so you're, you're a Charmander person. Squirtle's the optimal choice. Yeah. No. For speedrunning. No, Bulbasaur is. For speedrunning, sorry. Bulbasaur is no, the best Charmander. one to start with. Bulbasaur's, that's the little uh, oh. green one. I like that yeah. one. <laughs> there we yeah. go. He's he's good early. He's good for the first few gyms. Yeah, yeah. He's he's good. He's good for the first three, and then by then you should have a, a decent team. Charmander's not really good for until you get to Erica. Yeah, I mean my my favorite was always Squirtle, but I would usually I would usually just say stuff it and go with a Bulbasaur sometimes just for the just for the sake of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your favorite? Just favorite Pokemon full stop. Apart from the starters, who would you pick? Blastoise. Out the original 151. Yeah, just stick with the 151. I did like Ditto. <laughs> uh, there's so many to choose from, isn't there? there is too, there's too many. Too many to choose from. Uh, my favourite was Dragonite. Yeah, Dragonite's pretty good. From the original 151. I couldn't even... I, if I'm honest, I don't think I can even tell you my favourite was from the original. Oh, I loved Golduck. Big fan of Golduck. Arcanine was always handy because fire Pokemon were hard to get hold of. I always find though towards yeah. like lower down you go when you get to like Mr. Mime, Ditto, Pinsir, Scyther, Pokemon like that. I quite like those because they were standalone, like Tangler. Yeah. Because um, they didn't evolve really do very Onyx. much. Onyx until now. I mean now they just evolve left, right, and center. I'll ask you I'll ask you, Gregor. Neil, you don't need to answer this. Of all of them, if you were to have to pick one from like the newer ones as well. I could barely pick it from that one. Exactly. <laughs> That's the one fifty one. I do really like Heracross. Yeah, Heracross is good. Kingdra's good. Has no weaknesses. Ditto is a very liberal Pokemon, actually. <laughs> liberal. Yeah. Oh, here we go. We need to get in somehow. Eh? It can it can breed with any Pokemon Pokemon regardless of gender. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hermaphrodite. <laughs> can I interject bring you facts since 2020 <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon breeding Pokemon breeding advice I know it's really tough like I suppose trying to pick a favourite sort of leads on to the next question which is uh, unfortunately Neil you might struggle but Greg I hope you'll have something of the newer Pokemon do you think that they've gone in a good direction or that it's sort of gone totally off kilter on occasion I've not really paid too much attention to the newer Pokemon. Like, the, the most recent game I've played is Fire Red, I think. Oh no, beyond the, the sort of the, the, the small part I've played of Moon. Yeah. But I've not even played like Gold or Silver all the way through. It was only really the first gen and then their, the remakes that I've played. Fair enough. Uh, but do you think it went. I mean, I don't know. I've heard it went in a bad direction, but I've not really seen. 
enough. I don't know enough about them yeah. to pass judgment. Really, like I would have said that sudden sudden moon kind of went in a funny direction. It, it sort of it moved away from the gyms. It wasn't really gym orientated in the same way it used to be. They tried to do something different, and I don't think it really worked. And the Pokemon, it just got lazy. It's got these like really lazy design. I think. Um, they went for they went for either really strange or really simple, and there was a lack of imagination. And they started introducing because Sun and Moon was the Alolan, so they brought in the Alolan Pokemon. So it's just just like the original Pokemon, but they added in like a, a unique form of them. So there was a there was an Executor, which is looks like a pine tree with coconuts for heads. Um, but it's it, it just it just doesn't it, it just looks really it's really long and lanky, and it, I saw it in the animation once, and it just just sounds so stupid. Like it's the real I think they re- but playing Sun and Sword and Shield, I quite like that. I think it's quite good because you'll know Gregor, maybe Neil will know that they generally base the different generations on places, like, and the most recent one, Sword and Shield, is based on the UK. Which is really good. They've got some really inventive, sort of UK related Pokemon. You can kind of see what they're doing with it, which I think is quite clever. And you kind of relate to it a bit more. It can get a bit out 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 there, I suppose. And I think it was was it X X and Y was France. Which was fine because there was French themed Pokemon in it. You know, it made sense what they were doing. But no, I think Sun and Moon went slightly off the slightly off the deep end. And with what they were doing, but I think they're brought it back now. I recommend Sword and Shield; it's quite good. Back back to what they do best, which was generally what people said about it after it came out. But um, on that, that that's that's my you know I could talk about Pokemon for ages. I used to play at university; I still play it now. I really enjoy it, but I'm, I'm happy to leave it there before Neil falls asleep. And we need to get him awake and get Neil motivated because coming up next we have. The letter section. Yeah, so I did get a reply from Robbie the Trader. Nice guy. Uh, he was very thankful for his mail. Uh, and I did finish it off with a question, which was, when was the seminar next available? And it didn't, to my delight there, actually, uh, he's, he's recently come out of surgery, so he's put me on to his wife uh, that's handling his admin duties for the moment. Uh, but there is actually an overflow seminar uh, on the 3rd of February, but on Sadly, I will be working as that's a Wednesday. So, uh, so I'll probably I'll need to skip that one. Maybe in a couple of months when he releases new ones, I'll be able to join that one. It's quite expensive. It's four hundred pounds for the day. Whoa! Uh, for an on for an online webinar, which I think is quite pricey. Uh, but yeah. I, I I think it'll still be worth the money. I still think it would be worth the money. So I will do that in the future. Hopefully, it will pay itself back in time. See how he's got that 1.4 million in the ISA now. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We all, we're all interested in that ISA. Well, he's only allowed 20 He's only allowed twenty grand a year. Yeah. Alright, yeah, so no, he was thankful for the letter and it was good to have uh, all the details. They've given me probably, what's say, a two two-page document on the full rundown of the seminar and how it goes. So it's interesting to read and hopefully I will be able to join one Maybe you should think about doing one on a Saturday or a Sunday. That, More accessible put, to people. Put that in your reply. <laughs> Maybe put that in your next letter. The first one has sold out, so I'm sure it's not short in demand. Of course. 
Very good. Thank you, Neil, for the update. And Gregor, would you like to introduce us to your next victim? I mean, uh, recipient of your letter. <laughs> yep. Uh, my next uh, recipient will be John Robertson, Australian comedian. I tasked you with looking up some of his material. Uh, so it'd be good to get your thoughts on that. But just a bit, a bit of background. So I first came across him when he presented a show called Video Game Nation on Challenge TV. Ran from 2014 and ended, I think it ran for about four seasons. Uh, and did it, it suddenly ended. I remember they had it in the planner. I was just watching it. It must be Saturday morning. And the host said at the end of the show, join us next week for our last show, just out of the blue. And then next week they had a sort of a special. So it was really, uh, it was really quite sudden. Uh, the, I think the channel that um, or the production company that funded them was trying to uh, sort of change their direction and become a bit more streamlined in terms of what they were, yeah. the content they're producing, uh, which was a shame. And enjoyed most of the presenters on the show, but uh, but he was uh, really good in particular. And he on his last show he talked about how. He, he, was also, he was also a stand-up comedian, which I wasn't aware of, so I looked him up. And he does a, or he's done a yearly show at the Fringe for a number of years now called The Dark Room. Um, so we went to see, I went to see that with some friends in 2017. Really enjoyed it. I, th- I think that was one of the videos I sent to you, but he's essentially standing up on at the, at the front on, on the stage in some cases and takes you through a sort of projector. He's got a, pr- a projector image up on the, on the stage. And it's in the design of a text-based adventure game. So go north, check drawer, pick up glue, use stick or whatever. Uh, you enter these commands and it'll tell you, the computer will tell you what you can do. So back in all them those days. And it's, it's really good. Uh, he has also done his stand-up, uh, his stand-up shows as well. My wife and I had tickets to go see him in 2018. But after we went to Nando's before the show... And after Andrews, we had to go to the minor injuries unit because I thought I'd swallowed a chicken bone. And so we had to miss the show. So I spent about two hours in the minor injuries unit in Western General. I had to get an x-ray. But it was concluded that I didn't swallow a chicken bone. <laughs> what a waste of a ticket. I know. Yeah, well, two tickets. I know. Tell me about it. Uh, but it wasn't until uh, recently, actually, I noticed he was doing a... He's, he's got a presence on Twitch now. So he does a weekly darkroom show on Twitch. And he's on six days of the week. So he's typically got a lunchtime show and an evening show. And the content of the shows differs as well. On Monday night, he does a Monday night snack down. So he gets different uh, weird and wonderful snacks that he eats and and ranks. Then on Wednesday, it's a movie night. So he'll, he'll watch a film or some old adverts or something like that. Then on Saturday, it's an unboxing. Friday night's a dark room. And on Sunday afternoon, it's... Sunday afternoon with your dad, so he he like acts as a divorced Aussie dad, and uh, chats like his his kids go around for usually a birthday cake or something. So it's quite wholesome. I just mentioned he he does does ukulele covers of various songs he's introduced me to. So I thank him for that. And ultimately, I've signed off the letter high high def high five, which was his his greeting on Video Game Nation all those years ago. Despite the show never being broadcast in high definition. Oh, nostalgia trip. So, you have watched this content. Yes. Dan, give me your thoughts. I found I found him a complicated one with regards to his, his humour. Like, I watched it, I watched it, you sent us the clip from the, was it Video Game Nation? And yeah. 
I, I quite enjoyed the way he did it. I think the game that he was talking about was really dull, which limited his ability to actually do very much. So I still went, okay, that's fine. He was entertaining mm. as a host, but it, you know the content was was less than. I don't think it complimented him. I then watched. What's the then? There was the stand up. No, no, that's a lie. I watched the the, the clip of him auditioning American Idol. American Idol, and I was just like, "What on God's green earth am I watching right now?" So I was quite happy when that was finished. And then I started watching the stand up routine that you sent from. I assume that was from the Fringe, wasn't it? Uh, I don't think it was from. It was a dark room. It was dark I don't room. think it was from the Fringe, though. The first five ten minutes I thought were really funny. Then he got boring. I think right. I think he was repetitive, if I'm honest. Um, and I was kind of like, there's surreal humour, and then there's just getting slightly lost in your own mind, which I think he was kind of getting like there was. Yeah, I think he got that for me. He was he, I got lost slightly with him, um, but then I did independently look up a video of him dealing with a heckler, which was one of the funniest things I'd watched all year. Granted, it's still early on in the year. But it was it was ve- <laughs> it was it was very funny, and the way he told he spent ten minutes, ten fifty minutes dismantling this heckler, and I thought that's just like the, the UN charters in place to prevent that from happening because it was he was absolutely vicious, and it was it was it was very funny. Um, so highlight for me was the bit I found myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's just he was just wasn't he uh, just wasn't quite my cup of tea if I'm honest. But he like I say like I say he was funny. So his, yeah, so stand up was the bit you found independently. That was this, the so the one that I sent you was his dark room show, yeah. which has had him did sorry I'm finished your stand up as well. But yeah, Neil, uh, your thoughts? Thanks for that, Dan. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I enjoyed the video game nation. I enjoyed the humor on it. It was quite dry. Which yep. is my kind of my kind of humour, but uh, yeah, the dark room. I did enjoy. It. There was a lot of funny parts to it, but it wasn't as the it wasn't the same type of humour. It's because it is quite an interactive with the audience. It's probably better if you're there for that. Admittedly, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I I might seek out this heckling video. I'm sure it's good. It, it was uh, the pop idol one. I didn't really get. I didn't really. Yeah. I didn't really get that pop idol one. What no. was that all about? Uh, it was just something. It, it's something he alluded to in his final. To our video game nation farewell, right? Um, and I think like I think that was the first time that was the first time he was on TV. I think he was right. pretty young at that point. Yeah, that was pretty good. I think I watched that one first. That was it because you said to watch that one first. So I watched that one first. Then it was the video game yeah. nation. Then it was the stand up. So when I first watched that, I saw the pop idol. I was like, and then I watched him do. Then I watched him do video game nation. I was like, oh, he's quite erudite. That's not so bad. And then it was watching. Um, his stand-up, and like I say, first 10 minutes, I was like, I was, his intro was quite funny, but then I thought, I can see what you're trying to do, but it's just not working for me. Interesting. So would you have for going to see a show, the Dark Group show at the Fringe? Dan, I think that's a hard no I'd, from you. It was not a hard no, I just, it wouldn't be something I would go for myself. Right, but you can, you can catch him on Twitch. Um, maybe avoid the Friday night one then, if you're not a fan of the Dark Room. Okay. Uh, but he's on, I still take some of them just on my lunch break. I'd be up for going to see him. I am a big fan of comedy. Good. I, I, I resent that insinuation, though, Neil, in that statement that I am not a big fan of comedy. For my knowledge of comedy far surpasses yours. <laughs> I have that, yeah. <laughs> I have that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what Neil's looking at... Most of my content comes from comedians. <laughs> um, so he's got... I mean, I feel bad for Kennedy now because... 
it's an unboxing thing that it's an unbox, unboxing address I've, I've sent this to so I'd feel bad if I didn't also get him something to you know unbox like a gift or something so I'll uh, I'll, I'll probably get something on Amazon wishlist as well for him it's got a variety of books and clothing in there so I think I'm something like that cool so we can actually we might actually get to see this opened live <gasps> we can send people the link do people so people send him things from his Amazon wishlist or like people just send them random things as well. So they may send them like snacks and stuff from underneath SmackDown, or he's got a few masks, or somebody sent him a record player. He's got a few board games, so somebody sent an expansion to one of his board games. Fair enough. So stuff that they'll enjoy or use in the stream or something like that. Just like just like send streamers, them a streamers generally. I always think Iron Brew because just think of Pepsi Max. Is he? Where does he live? Where does he reside? Well, the PO box address is London. I was getting worried then, Greg, because I was thinking, first thing you've sent to Japan, and now, how much further can I go? Ah, that's what Australia will do. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> um, I've, I've written a sort of cover letter as well. So I've got this, this the normal letter to John Robertson. I've got his, his online persona as Robotron, Robotron. And so I've just said, dear Robotron, and close the letter from Mr. John Robertson. I'd be grateful if you pass it to him. Feel free to read out in the stream. So it may not get read out, but at least it, you, should, you should receive it. Yeah. Open. Without too much, too much delay. So that's me. Yep. So I'll get that off next week. Thanks, Gregor, for the update. And I will think about my next, uh, my next target. Target. <laughs> 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 and next time, next time, Neil will make sure they've got an actual address. Yeah, I'll try and find an address. I, I assume you could just write on it, though, Neil. Mar-a-Lago, Florida, and he'll eventually get to him. <laughs> <laughs> Right, cool. Well, thank you for that, guys, for the updates. So we're now going to move swiftly on to our top five, which is this week being brought to us by Gregor. So, Gregor, introduce us. Thanks, Dan. Yep. This week, our top five is going to be condiments. Just read a quick, uh, quick, just quick, again, using the (laughs) source of all our facts here and kind of interject Wikipedia. A condiment is a spice, sauce, or preparation that is added to food after cooking to impart a specific flavour, to enhance the flavour, or to complement the dish. Yep. Okay. So, what I'm thinking here is something I might add to the side of my chips, put on a burger or a hot dog. Okay. I agree. Right. Are we counting salt? That's my first question. It's totally up to you. By definition, by definition, it can be included, but you don't need to use it. Mines are all sauce based. Oh, definitely. Interesting. So are mine actually. Uh, well, I've got an honourable mention that isn't sauce based. Right, you can kick us off then, no? Yeah, I, I struggled with the the definition here because, as I say, something can be added to the dish after cooking. So I'm going to keep mine like Gregor to household condiments that you would have generally sauces. Spices, something you'd find next to the ketchup in a supermarket aisle. Yeah, where, where actually, to be fair, this was something I found next to the ketchup. But it's an honourable mention because you can have it bought or cooked as fried onions. Recently, proved myself wrong here as I bought a little tub of fried onions from the sauce section this week. Right, but I would not count that as a condiment personally. Was it the sauce section or just round about the sauce area? Sauce section, the little tub of dried things you get in like Pizza Hut, dried fried onions. Yeah, yeah, I know what they are. Yeah. So, my number five has led me to my decision for dinner tonight is tartar sauce. 
I'm not a great lover of it. Out the jar, although it is good, I do like to make it myself. I always, I always make it myself. Because it's healthier, in my opinion, tastes nicer for me. So, tartar sauce. Best served with fish. Especially breaded or deep fried. Excellent, yep. A British classic. Indeed. I think it's French though, isn't it? Uh, gherkins. Gherkins and mayonnaise and capers. parsley. And capers if you're feeling exotic. Capers, yeah. Thanks very much, Neil. Dan, your number five? My number five is... Uh, well, I'll say now that I'm going for the more broader definition of of a condiment because I thought when I was putting it together and it was just this list of sauces, it looked quite dull. So once I found out that it could be expanded slightly, I've expanded. But my number five is a sauce, and it is barbecue sauce. Uh, I love barbecue sauce. It is is a fantastic condiment, very versatile. Possibilities of with almost any type of meat. It's a delight to have just at the side of your plate. Great many different things, and it's got that lovely that lovely warming flavour to it. I think I usually <laughs> to get more technical. I probably usually use it more in the winter time because I find it quite. Like I say, quite warming and quite makes you feel cosy. So, yeah, barbecue sauce, my number five. Yeah, good choice. My number five is sweet chilli sauce. Now, I really enjoy sweet chilli sauce, and on its own, uh, I might have it even higher, but due to the infrequency of which I have it in the house, it's probably, this is why it's in a number five, it's not, it'd be a little bit sort of higher ranked. I think, but sweet chilli sauce. I've never tried to make this at home, although I have seen it done on Come, come Down With Me, and I believe anything that can be done on Come Down With Me can be made in the house. So <laughs> make it a go one day. Number five, chilli sauce. Sweet chilli sauce. Uh, you're number four, Neil. Uh, number four, uh, this is my only non-sauce-based one. It's oil-based. It's chimichurri. Ooh. Fantastic on grilled meats. It's like a Olive oil, parsley, chilies, garlic. Uh, put a bit of paprika in there. Yeah, uh, great on great steak and chips. Absolutely perfect topping, in my opinion. Yeah, I had this in one of these uh, Brazilian rodizio places. Now on the table, and it's, it goes. It's delicious with the grilled meats. Agree. It's indeed. Your number four, Dan. My number four is another sauce, and it comes. It's a branded sauce. And it is Nando's garlic sauce. I really like it. I really enjoy it. Uh, you know, obviously introduced to it when we went for Nando's. And now you can buy it in the supermarket. It's opened up my palate to new possibilities. I um, really like the, the heat that comes off it. And I really like garlic as a general flavor. So I find the two combinations in the sauce is really nice. And I suppose a bit like barbecue sauce is really warming. Really nice to have at this time of year. Yeah, my number four. Thanks very much. And my number four is barbecue sauce. So, same as you, Dan. For your, well, not same as you, but what you had for your number five. I agree. It's sort of beefed up ketchup for me because it's ketchup except tangier and sweeter. So just more flavour in it as a whole, I think. Um, goes with anything. Burgers, chips, hot dogs. No, I wouldn't put it on ice cream right now, but most things. <laughs> most savoury things. Most savoury goods. But yeah, my number four, barbecue sauce. Number three, Neil. Number three also inspired me to go to the supermarket and buy this today. It's coleslaw. Oh. Fantastic with breaded goods. I might actually have it with my fish and chips tonight as well. Uh, mayonnaise. It was actually on my top five, but 
It was replaced by chimichurri. Uh, a great base and the crunch of the coleslaw. Especially the, the ones you get, the, the finest ones in the supermarket, you get divine. Yeah, true. Uh, number three, Dan? My number three is gravy. A little bit of gravy. Mm. Oh, oh. Good old-fashioned, traditional, hearty gravy with a roast in it. Nothing like it. I probably also have to say, I mean, roast dinners, I'd include a horseradish as well, because I like the horseradish sauce, but gravy comes out, gravy comes into the into the third spot for me. Nothing like it. Beautiful. British. Proud. You, you have gravy quite often now, don't you? I do. I think, Dan, I think that's the Wolverhampton coming out in you there. One a, one a day. <laughs> a gravy a day keeps the doctor away. A gravy a day? Yeah, yeah, your bovril. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I was never, until I moved to England, I never really had much gravy, but they, they love the roast dinners here so much. It's quite a, it's a staple very often now that I have gravy on my meats. Yeah, it doesn't even occur to me gravy, actually. But yeah, I've, most weekends I have gravy with my roast dinner. Uh, my number three is similar to horseradish, it's mustard. Mm. And I'd go with Dijon here. Oh, beautiful. So, just the right heat, I think. Although I'm partial to English or American as well. But yeah, Dijon's my go to. Although I haven't used a whole grain last week, last week or so. That's nice. But yeah, I remember I told this story during the week, but the first time I had mustard, it was later in life, it must be in my 20s, I had it on a ham sandwich because I'd heard that. Uh, ham and mustard go well together but I, I, I wasn't fully aware of the sort of heat of mustard and so I was put on like you would <laughs> ketchup slathered in it and so upon biting into it upon biting into this uh, I don't know if you've ever had any, any volume of mustard but it was like my head was yeah. it was like kind of brain freeze almost it was that sort of your whole head contracts yeah but I persevered through it I didn't throw it out because I thought well this can't be right it must have just got a lot of mustard in that mouthful and I got through it um, despite it being far too mustardy but I stuck with it and I now know how to portion it correctly well done uh, on a sandwich and so yeah number three mustard number two Neil number two is probably my most consumed condiment throughout my life is the brown sauce Oof. one of the few brown sauce I can't I've, I've, been, I've tried so many of them and to be honest I've, I rarely find one I don't enjoy apart from the fruity one but no, love it absolutely a perfect staple on a, on a weekend breakfast weekend I'm intrigued as to what your number one will be now Dan, your number two my number two is cheese Taking advantage of uh, the Wikipedia definition uh, <laughs> and the list that Wikipedia a spice provided. Sauce or preparation? You go down the list. You can scroll cheese. down the list, and cheese is on the list. Wikipedia put cheese on the list. It's cheese is also considered a condiment in some European countries. Citation needed. Definitive. If ever I've ever heard it. Well, I'm sorry, but you've used it so far, so <laughs> I'm not fussed. Cheese. I like cheese. I love cheese. I adore cheese. Cheese is a fantastic thing. And cheese is even better because you can add it as a condiment to enhance the flavours of the food that you're eating. Such as a blue cheese on a steak. A little bit of cheddar in a mashed potato. There's a whole world of possibilities. Yeah, but do you but do you all, you mean raw cheese? 
Like you just put cheese well, on things. Add, add cheese to and the side. And then eat it without melting oh, it or anything. Melt it. It's a condiment. You don't put like not don't melting melt it or anything. Because no, it's you add it to enhance it. Well, thanks, thanks, Dan. All right, my number my number two is sriracha. Uh, it's a, a hot sauce or chili sauce. It's quite tangy. It's uh, basically chili peppers, vinegar, garlic, a couple of uh, sort of spices or other sort of flavorings. It seems it seems Very it seems good. to originated in the Southeast Asia. Uh, but it's become a staple in the in the UK now, uh, available in wide variety of supermarkets. And I like to mix this with ketchup again, just to sort of beef up the ketchup, to add a little bit of spice to it. It's got a very distinct flavour for a chilli sauce, stracho. Yeah, really like it. My number two. Cool. And here we go, number one. Neil. Number one. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. No, I'm not going to go particular one here because there's so many that I enjoy. It depends what mood I'm in. But the ones I use most is Frank's Red Hot and Cholula, as they're not too spicy. But I've also got some ridiculous ones, Reaper Ketchup, uh, when I'm feeling a bit... Uh, <laughs> feeling a little bit dangerous. Uh, Tabasco as well. I've not seen the, the Habanero Tabasco in a while. But yeah, there's, this, there's always a, a healthy supply of different hot sauces in the cupboard for different flavours, obviously coming from different chilies. Good choice, yep. Similar to number two. And Dan, you're number one? Now... Here we go. See, there's a lot of honourable mentions. Right. There's a lot of honourable mentions. <laughs> a lot of honourable mentions, because there's, like, coleslaw would have been in my... You know, it'd be in my top ten. Um, you know, there's a lot of different... Like I said about horseradish, uh, there's a lot of ones that go get honourable mentions. But there's one. There's a king. There's a champion. There's one that's unsurpassable. Needs to be controversial. The episode's been very tame. So my number one is tomato ketchup. Stop the episode here. <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks, listeners. It's been wonderful bringing you six, 15 and a half episodes. And he, and that was I, vetoed. I, I, I know. Wait, tomato wait. Tomato ketchup sh- was vetoed. But hit us with your defence. Def- I have no defence. I just love it. I adore it. It's great. It's fantastic. It's, uns- it's unsurpassable. I love ketchup. I've always loved the flavour. I've had it for as long as I can remember. I, I, I don't really have a case. It's just it's just an opinion. It's a faith. I've just told I've just told you there are two things that could surpass it in the barbecue sauce and sriracha can be used to enhance it. No, you can't. You can't surpass it. So, well, thanks very much, Dan. You're welcome. Neil, any comment on that? I just think I have a phobia of tomato sauce. I just I really have a really really strong dislike of it. And I think it was a bit of a phobia I had because I was scared. I can't. I can't smell it, I can't take it, it just gives me the creeps <laughs> maybe that's my, my own personal problem <laughs> it definitely, definitely, definitely sounds like it but I, better now, like I, would, like I wouldn't even have it in the same fridge as my food yeah. at one point I don't know why <laughs> yeah my number one pesto mayonnaise interesting he's tried this, I mean th- this also interchangeable with other sort of mayonnaise, garlic mayo chili mayo, all good but pesto mayonnaise is my favourite. Have you tried this? Yeah, I've tried it. Pesto, yeah, that was a suggestion. Yeah, it's a good one. I, d- I didn't have the heart to include pesto as its own. It's a condiment. It's fairly cheap as well from what I've, what I've been able to gather. So, yeah, delightful. I'd highly recommend it if you've not tried it. Cool. All the... Is this what, is it Heinz one? I've just seen supermarket-owned ones, actually. I've never seen it. I've seen the make it now as well. Or they made it first, but just weren't in stock. 
Happy Gammon. Yeah, I'm more a fan of the red pestle myself. No, really? No, the green pestle's brilliant. Cool. Thanks very much. As exhilarating as we thought it would be, I think, that top five. There's only one way to put it. All passionate about condiments. Yes, we all care about our condiments. That that, that is undeniable. Thank you very much there, Gregor, for that that stimulating and exciting conversation about condiments. Okay, Dan. Only too happy to bring that to our listeners. Thank you. So from there, we're going to move on to Conspiracy Corner. And this time around, I am bringing you the conspiracy that is the Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle. Now, a bit of background before Gregor tells us it's all rubbish. So the earliest suggestion of there being a Bermuda Triangle comes from the Miami Herald on the 17th of September, 1850, where they discussed about the fact that there were ships and planes vanishing in this area. Now, the Bermuda Triangle consists of an area generally accepted as being the southern tip of Florida, across to Bermuda, down to Puerto Rico, and then back up to the tip of Florida again. However, there is some conjecture about the area that it actually is. So it varies in area from 1,300,000 to 3,900,000 kilometers squared. And there are some people that believe that the Bermuda Triangle stretches all the way to the Irish coast. I think they're just trying to include things in there. Is that the Irish tourist board? <laughs> yeah, visit visit island, but don't go near the I coast. The point of the Bermuda Triangle was that the Bermuda is at the corner of the triangle. Well, one of the corners, the sea corners to triangle. And it's the closest tri- corner to Ireland. It could be the furthest away. <laughs> so following, following on the article, there was another article published in Fate in 1952 entitled Sea Mystery at Our Back Door and it also covered, it went into more detail about the fact that several planes and ships have been lost in that area. This included Flight 19 and a squadron of Avenger um, bomber planes during the Second World War. Now, this sort of rumbled on with articles and people writing pieces about it uh, until 1975, when Larry Cush came along and wrote the Bermuda Triangle Mystery, Solved. Yes, Larry. And he debunked every single theory. Yes, I knew you'd like Larry. Larry comes along and he comes along to debunk all these all these mysteries. He, he attributes it to, in particularly three main areas, tropical storms, which can easily disrupt the navigations of any ships or planes and can lead to accidents. Exaggerated numbers, as in that the numbers that were actually given were exaggerated with regards to how many planes and ships that had been lost, and also the fact that on occasion some of the incidents which were cited were made up. So there was just blatant lying going on. In 2013, the Worldwide Fund for Nature published their list of the 10 most dangerous waters for shipping in the world. And the area, which is the Bermuda Triangle, came not in the top 10. Now, in 1992, a program was made by Channel 4 called the Bermuda Triangle. And they spoke to Lloyds of London, who were involved in the insurance of ships and shipping. And they asked them about, do they charge higher rates of insurance for ships traveling in that area, which is the Bermuda Triangle? And they said no. There's no additional there's no additional charges or higher prices when it comes to their insurance for ships in that area. Now, there's two two schools of thought with regards to the reasons behind all these things happening. There's one school, 
which suggests that the accidents and the loss of ships and the vanishings may be caused by technology from Atlantis, which apparently some people think was in the area because of stuff that they found underground that looks man-made. Or it could be UFOs which are coming down and abducting planes and ships and causing terrible accidents. I believe uh, Rob Riggle. Rob Riggle already yes. busted the Atlantis myth. <laughs> proved it. <laughs> I think he proved it. He did. He proved it. He, he busted bust the it. myth that it's in the Bermuda Triangle. There's a documentary on National Geographic quite recently, and it was called the Bermuda Triangle. And I said, "Oh, I'll watch that." And that sort of covers the more scientific ones. It was fantastic because it was four gentlemen going off to the Bermuda Triangle trying to prove the fact that it's all absolute rubbish. So some of the areas, some of the more scientific explanations are compass variations because there can be um, a discrepancy between magnetic and true north, which could lead to perhaps less aware sailors and uh, pilots actually knowing where they were going based on their based on their compass readings. The Gulf Stream, as as we're well aware, living in the UK, we've got we have quite a good strong relationship with the Gulf Stream that runs down from the North Atlantic all the way down to the the Gulf of Mexico, and it is it behaves like a river in the ocean, and it could explain why some ships, who which could be quite light, could be pulled pulled off course and onto the rocks or onto other dangerous situations human error because people make mistakes violent weather because in that area they can have some quite strong tropical storms so if you were to be going out in that type of weather then it's every possibility that you could have an accident and be lost and also methane hydrates which are under the water and can disrupt the sh a ship's buoyancy and if the ship's buoyancy is disrupted, it could lead to it sinking. So those are the scientific methods. So I open the floor to Gregor to just tell us that it's rubbish, and then Neil to give us a bit more content. I mean, yeah, I can I can string this out if you want, Dan. But, I mean, you've given these plausible explanations. But the explanations for what? You've already said that they've spoken to Lloyds of London in the business, who are in the business of... Insure, insuring um, ships and if they have said accidents don't happen at a high, higher rate in the Bermuda Triangle than what they would expect they don't have a Bermuda Triangle factor what more do you really need if these these insurers are doing massive statistical studies on uh, various shipping routes and assessing risk yeah. and the, the very fact that they've not factored this in, I mean if they if they hadn't factored it in, was a thing. They'd been financial difficulty. Um, however, Lloyd's in London, I believe, are going strong. They they, they were in they were in nineteen ninety two at <laughs> yes, least exactly. So they were doing all right. <laughs> uh, they've been going for over three hundred years at that point. On the hand, just on the hand, just uh, yeah, going for over three hundred years at that point. They were set up in nineteen ninety one, so they can't be trusted. Yeah, set up in sixteen eighty six, so. They'd had a bit of experience in the insurance market, you could say. Neil? Uh, I can weigh in here as a two-time Bermuda Triangle survivor. <laughs> we've got a survivor, folks. We've got a, we've got a veteran. I've flown, <laughs> flown through it on two separate occasions. I didn't see anything too too crazy, but uh, me, and my, me and my fiancé do have a, a relationship with the <laughs> Bermuda Triangle. What the hell Triangle, did you see? Where we do watch a lot of documentaries on it and commonly seek out documentaries on it as it's quite interesting 
but yeah, there's there's no evidence. I'm just looking up for other uh, sources of insurance companies, but the one that stands out is Lloyd's. Do not recognise it as a higher risk than normal. Um, but the, the logical explanations, which they also come up in these documentaries, which is the, the main ones are the Gulf Stream and the, these methane hydrates, which is can explain ships and planes crashing unexpectedly. Yeah, I mean, I, I've 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 actually come up with plenty of evidence to sort of <laughs> against it. You know, there's not really I'm not really throwing it out of there for you to now debunk because I've already debunked it. I've saved you the job. Yeah, and like Gregor says, it's you know it's all you know if 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 it, you know if an if an insurer, a well respected and a well established insurer says it they they don't factor it in, then that's usually a good sign of something. And if you know organisations are saying, well, it's not dangerous compared to some places, then it's purely the the product of a imagination of serious imagination. Um, you know, there, there's. They don't even really have any solid alternative explanation. Like they just sort of go, "It's Atlantis, it's UFOs." It's not like some of them where they've actually really put a lot of time in. Not like when we were talking about flat earthers, and I said all the things like you know to do with to with gravity and dark matter, and you know they've they've tried to they've tried to sort of pigeonhole science into it. Here they've not really bothered trying to explain it with any serious validity. In the same way, I think it's it's more like a it's more like an urban legend than anything that can be that can be taken seriously. It's so, just a some may say of, it's a lie of wild imagination, by virtue of it not being a truth. Well, I mean, uh, you wouldn't put it in a conspiracy corner if it was truth, though, would you? Well, apart from Bigfoot and aliens, <laughs> as, as Greg gathers his thoughts. <laughs> but yeah, so yes, Bermuda Triangle, the Devil's Triangle. Clearly absolute tosh. And if Neil survived it, it can't be true. So so that's that. Right, well, thank you guys for that. And now we find ourselves at the end of the episode. As always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Twitter at, at caninterject, or also you can drop us an email at caninterjectpodcast at gmail.com. But for now, it's thanks from Dan. Thanks from me, Gregor. Yeah, thanks from Neil. No, it's not a thanks. You're welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to the Fact Check. Another opportunity for us to go over what we've been talking about and to pick up at any loose ends or some seriously loose, th- loose threads that we may have, have gathered during that episode. So I'll pass it over to Gregor, an uh, ever-studious adjudicator of facts, and I'm sure he's got one or two for us this time. Uh, just the one or two, yep, Dan. Uh, so the only solid fact check I've got is I referred to John Robertson's appearance on American Idol. It was in fact Australian Idol, not American Idol, just in case you're searching for that, dear listener. And that was the only real fact check I had. Um, I did have one concern while I listened to episodes. We talked a lot about uh, betting as a positive thing. <laughs> uh, not much, didn't touch much on the negative aspects. Uh, so, any words to say on that? No, I think I think I think Greg is right. You know, it, there are there are a lot of negativities. There's a lot of negative consequences of gambling, and it's very addictive, and it's very dangerous because it can be so addictive that there are people out there that. 
lose everything, lose it, including their families and even their own lives uh, because of because of gambling addiction. So it's a very it could be a very dangerous thing. It's all a bit of fun, but when the fun stops, stop. Uh, so yes, thanks, thanks for that, Dan. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. There, there are a lot of negative consequences of gambling as well, and as you say, it's, as as we kind of talked about, it has seen a an uptick among younger people as well, just with the prevalence of the Saturday coupon, I think, mm-hmm. and all these online easy online apps and Sky Sports serve coupled with Skybet on their Super Six and things like that. So it's heavily in the sort of a, a big part of the youth of today, I think. When the fun stops, stop. I think that says it all, doesn't it, Dan? You nailed it. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not one to steal other people's lines, but I'll steal that one. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I, I would say, though, I, I, I did, special occasion this, folks, I had a fact check on myself when, during the, the Conspiracy Corner, I made the outlandish claim that the the earliest suggestion of a Bermuda Triangle was 1850. In fact, it was 1950. So that changes the whole context of the story. Oh, in that case, I agree. Yeah, well, you see, that's it. It just I think it shows you how it's even more outlandish because it's not even that old. <laughs> 70 years. So it's, yeah. So I apologise for that. Apology accepted, Dan. Apology accepted, yep. <laughs> Such a forgiving group. I suppose if there's nothing else from you, Neil, did you pick up anything on uh, your latest listening? I didn't know actually. I was uh, okay. I was very okay with the content. Great. That makes me feel a whole lot better. So, Dan, do you want to wrap this up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, absolutely, I will. Uh, so, thank you guys for that. Thank you, Gregor, uh, for for picking up on those, and hopefully that will clear the air a little bit with some confusion with the listeners. So, thank you all very much for listening, and goodbye.